Welcome to the Social Housing Podcast from Voicecape, the only podcast dedicated to helping social landlords build sustainable tenancies. During this series of podcasts, we'll be speaking to leaders from the social housing sector and beyond, hopefully challenging the status quo a little bit, and also stimulating discussion around how technology can be better utilised to help build sustainable tenancies. I'm your host, John Doyle, the Chief Exec and Founder of VoiceGate. You, we have to match some very, very good organisations now around customer communication. If you think about you know, the likes of the experience you get with the likes of Amazon generally or other large national uh, customer service providers, I don't think that the housing sector has kept up with that. And actually, again, <clears throat> if you think about the service we provide, that's, the, that's what we've got to strive for, really. You know, it's not good enough to say, well, we do all this stuff to help people. So actually, we don't need to worry about having kind of super sharp communication with people when they call us and focused, you know, comms and, and sort of getting all that right. You do. You do. That's the standard we've got to meet. Because actually, for most people, that's how they judge you. If you get a good experience as a customer, that's a big tick in a box against an organisation. And actually, that is just as important for a lot of people as the other stuff that we do. And I think sometimes because we focus so much on where we can add extra value and rightly so, because we do do that, we've forgotten that the fundamental aspect of, of communicating well with a customer and giving them a great experience is really important. Welcome to the Social Housing Podcast. My name's Lewis Murray, and I'll be stepping in for John Doyle in this week's episode, where I'll be talking to Steve Hayes, Head of Communications at Citizen. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the important role that tailored communication can have in giving great customer experience and helping tenants to feel safe and secure in their homes. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Steve Hayes. So Steve, tell us about Citizen and the mission of your role as Head of Communications. Citizen is, um, we're, a, we're a, a large uh, social housing provider in the West Midlands. So we have 30,000 homes spaced out across uh, mainly Coventry, Birmingham, Hereford and Worcester, some small outlying areas, but all of our stock, our housing stock is within the West Midlands. So my job as head of communications really is to make sure that all of the customers in those properties which is a lot of them, as you can imagine, 30,000 homes, and uh, and all of our staff as well, all, all uh, a thousand of them, are really informed, engaged, and hopefully a little bit inspired uh, as well about what we do. That, that in, in its broadest sense, that really is, is what we're about. Um, we're proud to be an organisation that has a social purpose, and I think that adds hugely to my role as a head of comms. It's much easier to uh, to, to do this work when you when you have a, a purpose that you can uh, that you can keep referencing back to, so that really is yeah that's what citizens about and that's what what I do. Great. So what what do you see as essentially the the, the role of communications within a social housing organisation and and just how pivotal is that to the success of projects that that you're you know engaging with with customers and and, and how it comes to you know communicating with customers as well as colleagues. It's hugely important, and I think it's often underestimated the, 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 the significance of communication. But I guess if you think about how we all live our lives, and and certainly how we how we operate as customers, communication is a, is the kind of fundamental bit of that, really. So for us, being able to effectively communicate with all of those customers in in those many properties across the, our sort of area on a on a on a, a real kind of diverse range of topics, but to do that in a in a way that makes it easy for them to understand, to take in, is, is hugely, hugely important. So I think it, it would be important for any organisation, but I think when you do what we do, which is obviously providing someone with a home, you know, think about the most important things in your life and, and your home would figure really quite high up there. You know, it's going to be in most people's top three, isn't it? It's, it's after, after your family, probably about the most important thing you've got is a home. So when you're providing a service of that nature, and obviously because we work in social housing, it's it's people who who need that 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 home and have often waited quite a long time for it. You know, it, it's really, really important that you get that right. It's quite an intimate service. And I think 
it's also an opportunity if you communicate well with customers it, obviously you know as a social housing provider you can offer you can offer more and you can intervene potentially and, and offer more support than just a home that's where social housing providers can offer real value i think and it's the communication and the and the feeling and the ability of being able to keep that as two way um, that often allows us to do that uh, and, and to sort of go the extra mile and do more than just providing a home um, because I think that's really the value that, that we offer. So, and I think more broadly, if we think about social housing, I would be really interested, I always say, I'd be really interested to go out into the street and ask uh, 50 people what, what social housing is. They'd probably tell me to go away or say, why are you asking me that? But if we did that as a survey and we, and we actually sort of asked people, I think you'd find there'd be an awful, there'd be very few of them who would be able to properly articulate what social housing is. So I think there's on the one side, there's a really important part of this being that we obviously have to focus around uh, great communication with our customers. But I do also think that there's a, there's we've got to up our game as a sector around how we communicate and, and clearly convey the work that we do. Because you know there'll be people, if anybody's watching this who works for a social housing organisation, you know, there are still our own customers who would openly refer to us as the council, for example. And there is only, to a degree, there is only so much you can do about that. But I do think we have we have got better, but I think as a sector, we do need to do more to, to, to make it clear just what we do and what the contribution of that is. Because if you, if you can't do that effectively, then of course, you're never going to exert the influence that the potential is there the potential of housing is huge you know uh, for the economy and and and, um, and for society so so we need to do we need to do that justice but i think i think where um whether the housing sector has um has has got to up its game and has been in, in some ways is about is 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 this point that you you we have to match some very very good organizations now around customer communication if you think about you know, the likes of that, the experience you get with the likes of Amazon generally or other large national uh, customer service providers. I don't think that the housing sector has kept up with that. And actually, again, <clears throat> if you think about the service we provide, that's the, that's what we've got to strive for, really. You know, it's not good enough to say, well, we do all this stuff to help people. So actually, we don't need to worry about having kind of super sharp communication with people when they call us and focused you know comms and, and sort of getting all that right you do you do that's the standard we've got to meet because actually for most people that's how they judge you if you get a good experience as a customer that's a big tick in a box against an organization and actually that is just as important for a lot of people as the other stuff that we do and I think sometimes because we focus so much on where we can add extra value and rightly so because we do do that we've forgotten that the fundamental aspect of, of communicating well with a customer and giving them a great experience is really important. And I think one, one final thing I would say on, on communications in housing is don't be obsessed with customer communication at the expense of staff communication. Because I think one thing that all organisations should have learned over the last year, if they didn't know it already, is you have to make sure that your workforce is engaged and informed. It sounds like an obvious thing, it's often underinvested in and not done particularly well. And the reason for that isn't just that having a being a being a responsible employer um, is the right thing to do and has its own value in terms of attracting the right staff and keeping the right staff. It's because the service that your customers will receive is a direct reflection of how well your staff are engaged and motivated. So if you don't do that bit to invest in internal communication and getting that right and making sure you embed the culture of your organization and making sure people have a very clear understanding of what you do and what their part is in that, then you'll compromise the service delivery at the end of it. And I think that's a connection that sometimes gets missed is what we're talking about the whole package here. That's how you deliver great services. That's how you deliver great communication is by having an engaged uh, thought, but you know, um, an engaged and sort of motivated workforce that's very much bought into what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Well, there's two sides of that communication, isn't there? There's the, there's the mass communication that you do directly through campaigns and so on and so forth with customers. But then there's the everyday touch points that come from the frontline staff, whether that's a repair that gets carried out or if that's somebody who's, you know, contacting to talk about money advice or, you know, any of the other services that are provided by citizen, all, all of that has to come across 
to your customers in you know for them to have a great experience at all those touch points so I, I, I totally see that from a customer experience standpoint and why that's so important but is there any implications sector-wide to um, to communications in light of the government white paper uh, released back in November there are and I, get, I think again if you look at that and you look at what that white paper has said and the emphasis that that places on uh, housing providers to be uh, to be clear with customers you know you've got that you've got the charter and if you look at the seven principles of that charter at least i was having a look at them just before before this to refresh my memory at least half of those communication is absolutely pivotal to so if we think of things like performance and being clear about performance well you know that's going to rely on clear communication um, and, and trying to frankly trying to find engaging ways to share that information with people uh, you, you look at things like complaints and how they're dealt with well you know communication and effective communication is absolutely central to how you manage uh, complaints we've done a lot of work uh, around that and also having your voice heard is a central part of it and so again that two-way communication with customers is is huge so if you look at what's being if you look at what's uh, what, what's coming forward in that white paper, a massive, massive element of that is effective communication, conveying messages clearly, being transparent, being open, and making sure that there is also an opportunity for customers to give to feedback and that your work really reflects what they want. And I think that that definitely is a um, we we recently have recruited a new customer assurance committee. We took a completely different approach this time. Because we recognised actually that you know there are some there are some really really passionate representatives for customers in social housing providers we've had some in the past, but they haven't necessarily been representative of the wider customer base. And so what we did was a, a kind of quite a large scale recruitment campaign for that committee. And what we've ended up with is a really good representative spread. We had we had an amazing response. We had about four four hundred applications for uh, for the eight roles that we've got. Um, so we were able to choose people that were kind of geographically spread out, uh, demographically kind of representative of our tenant base. And what you're getting now is, uh, and also I think the questions we're asking them are different. So you mentioned it, you know, the transactional interactions, potentially not always at the focus of, of previous tenant groups, whereas now we've, there's a really good mix of kind of making sure that, that those customers are involved. So I think, you know, I always say this, and I would, wouldn't I, because I work in communications, but, but you know, there's a reason that, for example, there's a reason that the UK government just spent, I think it was a couple of million quid on that new, that shiny new briefing room that you now see. And I mean, that you could say that's extortioner, but it's, it's because they recognise that how you convey messages is is everything, really, in terms of how people understand something. You could do, you can do the best work that will have the best intention but if you can't get that across effectively, actually it's lost. So communication is a massive part of, 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 how we, uh, of how we continue to provide a great service in social housing, as it is in any, in any sector or service. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something that I would really wanted to talk to you about um, is as, as you're communicating with your tenant base that, that grows and has such diverse um, diverse needs and so much diversity in the area. It's really interesting to know how you're able to communicate uh, messages out to everybody to make sure that the, to make sure that the message lands and to make sure that it's received in the right way and that that, the people really understand both what the message is telling them and why that's relevant to them and their day-to-day life. And I think a great example of that is your recent fire safety project. Now that project sounds like there was a lot of very technical language that had to be communicated across to customers. So can you talk us through some of the steps that you took and your use of data-led comms to ensure that those messages really did land with customers? Yeah, absolutely. And I think your point there, data-led, kind of is, is a hugely important bit that, that, that has historically you know, been missing, certainly from um, and I know from from other organisations as well is this so so before I talk about the fire safety bit particularly I think there is this broadly what we what we have to get much better at is is thinking uh, very carefully about how we use 
the resource that we have to communicate effectively. So I think if I think back to my early days in the housing sector, which were kind of seven, eight years ago, it was still very much a kind of the main way uh, of communicating with customers at the organizations I was working for at that time was a customer newsletter, which went out every quarter. Now you were spending thousands and thousands of pounds on postage and printing for that. You were, a lot of the information ended up being out of date because by the time you three months came around, it was kind of the stuff from the early part of the period was sort of really old and, and not very engaging. You were asking customers to sift through 20 odd pages to find the one bit that might be relevant to them. And there was no thought really about, is this what what they want? Is, is, is what's gonna land something that they're gonna engage with? And crucially, no way of measuring how successful that was. And if you think about, if you were to make a, if we were to kind of go back and say, you were starting from scratch, how do we communicate effectively with our customers? If you were to make that business case, it would be a, it would be a terrible business case to say, I need 15 grand to print and post 5,000 or whatever, 10,000 newsletters to customers with out of date information that makes them sift through it. And you know what, at the end of it, I'm going to have absolutely no way of telling you how many of our customers engage with that. So it's kind of that that's the thing we've got to, <clears throat> we've had to grapple with. And I think I've said this before, and it's an unpopular view. Um, my view is the, the newsletter model is dead and has been for quite some time. I don't think anybody, I, I think, I think expecting a, a, a customer to read that is, is unreasonable. It, you know, it, there might be in some rural areas and more remote places and where you've got digital exclusion, there might be more of a case for it. But the point is, if there's a case for it, fine. If there isn't a case for it, it's an irresponsible way to spend what is essentially our tenants' money, really, to communicate with them. And it's just a poor, a poor way of providing a service. So I think what we've done over the last couple of years is really start to flip that on its head and say, let's let's take a look at the demographic of our, our customer base. Let's think about what, what what let's think about capturing data about how they want to be communicated with, which that, that task still isn't complete because that's a monumental thing to do. Um, but where we have email addresses for people, why would we not just send them a, a, an email? Why would we not communicate with them digitally? Because that allows us to see how many people are engaging directly. We have, so, so for example, we, we sent out, um, uh, we've had real issues in, in the Coventry area with fly tipping and waste during the pandemic. And it's reached a stage where, to be honest, we just needed to get something out. We worked with Coventry City Council on a joint letter and the brief of that was post it out to every single resident who lives in a block in Coventry, which is, I think it was about 10,000 people. So clearly you can, you can imagine straight away the postage costs for that are, are monumental. And actually we looked and we kind of said, how about we approach this slightly differently? We've got, I think, I think we had something like 6,000 of those customers we had emails for, or, or 7,000, the bulk of them we had emails for, and the other amount we didn't. So we kind of said, look, for everybody we've got an email address for, let's send them an email because actually we'll be able to see whether they've opened it. We'll be able to see whether they've engaged with any of the things on it. I had a look before I came on this call. I can see that 60% of the people we sent that to have opened it. So, you know, well, I can't say whether they've read the whole thing, but I can, I can say that they've opened it. If we'd have sent all of that, for all the people we sent letters to, we had no other way of communicating. I don't know whether they've opened it. I don't know whether they've read it. I have absolutely no idea. And we've saved all of the money that would have been, we've saved kind of several thousand pounds there. So it's, it sounds like a simple thing, but actually it's, it, again, it's, you know, the, the housing sector, again, in my experience, hasn't particularly wrestled with those things particularly well and hasn't been willing to be brave and say, do you know what, we need to stop doing this and start doing something different. So that, that I think is, is, a, is a general kind of background to, to how we need to increasingly approach comms in, is, is you've got to have, it's got to be intelligence led. So the fire safety thing was a good example of this, I think. What happened is we 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 own um, about 40 tower blocks. Lots of them, are, most of them, in fact, are in, are in Coventry. And uh, as, as for anybody who, who owns tower blocks will know that there are, there are occasions where there are fires. Mostly 99.999% of those fires are contained in the buildings and dealt with, put out by the fire. Uh, brigade and there's no uh, there's no injuries or, or or ill effects 
other than obviously the psychological damage, which is huge for somebody who lives in, in a tower block. But of course, the, the, the spectre of Grenfell still looms large, you know, three years on now. Actually, it's longer than that, isn't it? It's four years, I think, this year, uh, Grenfell's. So we, we are still very conscious all this time on that if you live in a tower block and there's a fire, you know, the likelihood is that's the first thought that's going to go through your head. So we had a fire in, in Coventry about a year ago, I think, maybe a little bit, bit, bit further back. And it was it was dealt with. It was a nasty fire, but it was dealt with. It was contained. The building performed exactly as it should. But what we'd found is that pretty much everybody in that building had evacuated or a large proportion of people had evacuated before the fire service arrived, which, of course, is completely against uh, the advice that we would we would give them. And I think in the aftermath of that, we spoke to lots of residents in that block and we kind of tried to get a sense of. Uh, of, of what their knowledge was about the fire safety protocols for the building and found that actually the ways that we had got tried to get that information across were just not were just not effective so we 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 obviously share fire safety information with every every customer that lives in a, a tower block but to be honest it was a fire safety policy which was quite technical quite long you know is it reasonable to expect people to is it a, it's quite a lot to ask for people to sit down and actually read that let alone kind of keep it to hand and remember it and and then react during a during a, a sort of panicked moment if they become aware there's a fire in, in in their building and in this case what had happened is actually somebody outside had started to film the fire and they put it on they were live streaming it on facebook um this was a friday night and it had thousands and thousands of people looking at it not just from coventry but you can it, it looked very much like the start of grenfell with the smoke starting to come out of one of the the windows because that was the only place the fire could go. In fact, as I say, it was contained to that flat. No one was hurt. Everything was fine. But if you'd seen that video, I, I just put myself in the position of someone who was in that building and went on Facebook and saw that. You know, obviously, you would you would panic. And I think that's a lot of people had just left the building. So we came up with, we said, we need to look at this properly and we need to do a piece of work for all of our high-rise uh, customers to try to uh, get across... Firstly, obviously, to reassure and kind of say, look, you may be aware of a fire that had taken place, but the, the actually everybody was kept safe. This is this is how the building performed. But also a bit of an awareness raising piece to kind of say, look, if this happens in your building, this is what you should do. So we kind of thought, what's the best way to do this? And you, you said it at the start, really, is there's lots of technical information around uh, fire safety. But Actually, when you boil it down, the fundamental messages are quite simple, really. And for us, of course, the main one is stay in the building unless the fire is in your flat or, you know, that that the heat or smoke is affecting you, of course, evacuate. But for most people, even if you become aware there's a fire in your building, the safest thing for you to do is to stay in that building. So we worked really closely with West Midlands Fire Service, who we worked with already, to try and distill down those messages into something that was clear simple and uh, and engaging and then we kind of thought okay we've got we've got our messages now what's the best way to to sort of get this out there and actually what we came up with was an animation so a really simple animation i think is only about a minute and 30 seconds long and the animation kind of took, spells out really clearly and simply uh, those key messages really which is here's what to do if there's a fire in your building uh, or in your home and then also here are some things you can do to try and prevent that so things like not leaving things in communal areas and blocking corridors and stairways, being careful when you smoke and cook and all those kinds of things. And then, of course, we kind of thought, right, let's let's think about who our customers are in those blocks. Well, as I said, lots of them in Coventry, some in Birmingham, a very, very diverse customer base. So we knew that there would be language barriers potentially. So we did some research through our translation service and also through some of the teams locally. We also looked at all of the customers in those blocks and their nationalities. And we were able to come up with a list of seven languages that we knew if we translated into those seven languages, pretty much everyone would be able to understand at least one of those languages to a, to a, a good level. We got voiceovers for all of those seven languages and we got the, uh, the, the fire safety literature uh, translated as well. So the experience for a customer ended up being this. We, put, we did post this out because we thought for this, it was really, really important, but it was the link between post and digital, I think. So everybody got a really nice kind of uh, really high quality sleeve uh, designed and it was personalized. So on the front, it said, 
important information about your building and then their first name. So sort of instantly engaging, you folded out a, a piece of, um, again, a high quality paper and in there was your your very simple instructions and the QR code that linked you to the animation and then a separate QR code that kind of said, look, if you need this language translated into any of these, click um, scan this QR code and you'll be able to access both this leaflet and the animation in your language. And that's had a really good response. So we we've, we we can see, again, obviously we can see how many people have, have accessed the fire safety web page. We can see how many people have accessed the animations. So we're able to, we're able to, to measure uh, more than certainly we would have done with just post how well uh, that's been engaged with. Uh, we, we did actually have a fire again in Coventry about a couple of months back. The feedback obviously is anecdotal, the feedback was that the behavior was different there and actually there wasn't the panic it was a really nasty fire again quite similar really uh, to, to the previous one uh, but again it was contained again it was dealt with no one injured and 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 our, our feedback from local teams was that was that there was a different vibe so you would hope that that was as a result of what we've done and i think it's just a good example of trying to to, to think outside the box a little bit trying to be as i think the way i put it is with something like that, a message which is so fundamentally important, one of the most important messages we could possibly convey, it doesn't necessarily have to be convoluted. It doesn't necessarily have to be inaccessible or or complicated. It can still be easy to understand, engaging. And you've got to, the discipline is, ask as little of your customers as possible for those things. Make it as easy as you can for that person to access that information. And that's what we tried to do. So the point that I wanted to pick up on was, um, I think that we do, when we're having interactions and communications, we do like to be treated as individuals, whether that's from a, you know our housing providers, if that's from our doctor's surgery, if that's you know a Zoom call or a Teams call, or you know any communication you want you want your own personal circumstances to be taken into consideration when you're having that conversation if i don't speak your language we're going to have to change the language up if you know there could be a number of things which impact how you communicate effectively so i think what the the question that would i would want to put to you then steve is how has the recent experience with the fire safety project shaped and influenced what you'll do going forward from here I think it has. I mean, I think we would increasingly like that to be the standard. I mean, obviously, that's quite a unique, it's quite a unique thing in terms of um, being hugely, hugely important. Uh, but then you could argue that you know that is that is the standard we should be we should be reaching. To be honest, so so I think increasingly we we want to make sure that any communication that we're doing with people reflects how they reflects their needs really and, and to a degree their desires so we're, we're what well, I say we are in the process of um, a, a new kind of agenda of capturing the right data because that's your first that's your first part of it is you have to have the right data you have to make sure that if a customer needs to need something in a different language that you that you know that or if they need it in a bigger font you know that uh, or if they prefer emails, you know that. So we've got some of that data, but it is patchy. So we, we'll be working on that. Um, and obviously a massive part of that is how you educate staff as well to make sure that the capturing of that data is is accurate. Um, and that when it's captured, you use it because there's nothing worse. You just create dissatisfaction if you start to uh, retain information about customers and then do nothing with it. So so there is a, it's not uncomplicated but this is what organizations do, other organizations do. And there are tools out there uh, that will equip you to do that. So we're working, we actually had a meeting with uh, ReachDeck, which is an organization uh, responsible. I think they're connected to Browser Loud, which is the, which is of course the software that, uh, which is basically a screen reader for anyone with, with hearing impairments or disabilities. And uh, they offer now, uh, uh, they've really sort of upped their game on their service. So they offer things like um, sort of plain reading uh, tools, uh, which you can put any any kind of text into and it will, it will tell you the reading age and, and other things like that. They also offer the ability to record kind of translated audio files. So we're looking into how we can harness all of that and, and with other providers as well, how we can harness all of those tools to make sure that when we're communicating with someone, it's in the most, again, 
we're asking as little of them as possible. We're coming to them rather than making them find a way to, to understand what we're putting out. But I think there's a wider agenda for us, which over the last couple of years has been to, to basically just up our game across the board on customer experience. So part and parcel of that was our rebrand, in truth, from WM Housing and the subsidiary organisations that, that sat underneath it. The one brand, one organisation that we uh, was it was September 2019, easy to lose track of. So actually not that long ago uh, was when we became citizen. Uh, and in that time, the transformation has been quite amazing, really, not only in terms of what we've been able to offer, but I think for staff and the feeling of belonging to one entity and a brand that you can understand and identify with and values and behaviours that you buy into. Um, and alongside that piece of work, we also did a a year-long training program with Mary Gober International. So they're sort of renowned, world-renowned customer service trainers. And every single person in our organization had training as part of that. And that was in recognition of what you said at the beginning of this was it's in the everyday interactions. So if you focus all of the training around your customer service center, clearly you want those people to be the real kind of experts in customer service, but actually customer service is everybody and every little interaction and piece of communication that you have, every email that you receive relating to a complaint, for example, every phone call that you that you make or receive. And it's those interactions that are important. And also a really, really important thing, and again, this is about being data and intelligence led, has been the rollout of our customer experience platform. Because what we've now we've gone from a position where the feedback we had from customers was kind of limited and usually outdated to now in the moment dashboard instant feedback from customers relating to those transactional services so i think every month now we get kind of 5000 individual pieces of of feedback relating to service transactions like repairs uh, contacts with the customer service center and and the the list of services is increasing all the time. We're rolling them out to things like the, what our gardening services, our cleaning services. So we can now see uh, we get a rating out of five, much in the same way if you use uh, Sky, for example, they have the same customer experience platform is after a service transaction, you'll receive a text that basically says, please rate us out of five and tell us why you did that. It's been transformational for us. And the ownership that that's given now to teams in the organization as it's rolled out as well, but also just the intelligence. So we, for example, if, if anybody scores us one or two, that's always followed up with a phone call from someone from our customer service center to understand why they scored that in more detail and to frankly, to do something to resolve that. And even just that small thing now means that you've got potentially tens or hundreds of customers who would have just been left unhappy and discontented and have no way of expressing that or having it dealt with. Now we're actually not only understanding, uh, we're able to pick up directly with them and we're able to then learn lessons that we can use across the organization. And often you'll find it's little tweaks, it's small things, but that is so important, so important. And it's made a massive difference uh, around our communication. We've done lots of work to try and embed the lessons from the Mary Gover training um, to embed our values. And it's been very, very successful. You know, our customer satisfaction scores all the way through the pandemic have been really, really high. I think on average 4.6 out of five, which with a with a massive volume of repairs that we do is is quite is quite amazing, really. Uh, but yes, the intelligence that's given us is is massive. And you're right, it is all about being treated as an individual. If you look at the principles that that Mary Gober her, her international have lived by and, and been very successful with their training program over the years you'd look at that and you go well this is all common sense but actually it's amazing how we call it common sense it's actually sometimes quite uncommon because it, it's seen as obvious so we don't do it and actually just just those simple tools things like being in the black and not in the red and things like personal control circles things like starting with a positive first response all things that we would think well, I do that anyway, but you don't always. Um, so it's that mindset change. And again, I think what this hammers home is you can have great systems to assess customer satisfaction, get intelligence on your customers, but you've got to engage staff with it as well. You can't do it at the expense of your staff because they're your ambassadors every single day talking to your customers. Um, so it's as much about cultural change internally as it is about having the tools to understand and, and provide a great service to your customers. Absolutely. So 
when it comes to engaging with those customers on a, on that that day to day basis, I suppose one thing I did want to pick up on actually is you mentioned there about you know having those those immediate responses. Someone scores you a one or a two, you really want to know why, and that I think that a lot ties back into uh, some of the findings from the the white paper and and some of the the suggestions that have been made and the additional powers being given to the ombudsman to to make sure that social landlords are dealing with formal complaints and i think being able to respond to customers who score you low in the first instance and be able to provide solutions before formal complaints happen is a huge thing and again that comes down to how capable are you to communicate with customers at that personal level and that you know one-to-one level i suppose one of the questions i wanted to ask is in terms of in terms of having some of those conversations at the one-to-one level, how do you manage that when it's when when some of those conversations are a bit more sensitive? So obviously we've had COVID, um, we've got a significant financial impact to you know most people. I think most people have felt the pinch because of COVID in one form or another. I think social housing tenants probably felt it more than anybody. How do you how do you manage your communication strategy when it's very sensitive issues like that? Well, I think it's a couple of things, really. I mean, I think proactivity is incredibly important, which you've, you've already sort of mentioned there, really, is those those ones and twos. You're absolutely right. If you can quickly resolve somebody's issue, if you can listen to them, first of all, and then if you can if you can nip things in the bud, then that's much less likely to manifest itself as a complaint going forward. Inevitably, some things do manifest themselves as complaints, and you therefore you have to have a really robust setup around how you deal with those effectively. And we we've actually, we're in the process of doing some work to, to kind of improve um, and change the, the way that we, we deal with complaints to make that really as good as it possibly can be. In terms of, yeah, you're right, the pandemic's been very hard on um, actually uh, exactly the people that we support. So uh, so we will, you know, if we think about 30,000 homes, well, there's undoubtedly going to be people who've been made redundant. There's undoubtedly going to be people who've been furloughed for long periods of time. Um, who've had their finances impacted significantly. And I think we, we so at income level particularly, we have an incredibly proactive income team. Uh, and again, the, the shift in their work has been that they that they try to intervene when there's low level arrears and, they, and, and, and we offer money advice and we try to be, uh, approach that as tactfully as we possibly can. And actually amazing, our, our arrears performance over the last 12 months has been really, really impressive. So that shift to, to proactive work uh, through through the VoiceScape product in particular has been has been excellent, and and I guess it's it's a version of that for whatever you do really. The other thing that we offer, which I think is a, which has been a massive positive, and you can see the usage of, of that service go up, is we launched about eighteen months ago something called our tenant support and wellbeing service, and I think that that is a really unique and 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 a great thing that, that that's on offer to every single customer of ours so the, the idea from it came from um, our employee assistance program which actually is a, a kind of welfare program for staff which offers things like counseling support advice on money uh, there's an online and telephone counseling service as part of that and various other various other elements of support and we kind of thought well, if if we're logically, if we're if we're offering that to our customer, uh, to our to our staff, well, actually, should we be offering that to our customers? So we had a conversation with the organisation that 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 managed that service. And they'd never done anything like this before, but they kind of said, "Let's do a pilot. Let's do a pilot with your customers," and that's been really successful. So that's now been rolled out, and and actually, we we continue to add new things to that service. So I think uh, we're actually going to be adding telephone counselling to the latest round of that service. So that means that every single customer that we have has access to a portal where they can have online counselling with an, with an actual uh, online counsellor. They're, they're now going to be able to have telephone counselling sessions to a, to a certain level and, and they can access advice and support um, and signposting on all kinds of issues. And it's all completely disconnected from us in terms of the fact we get reports headline reports on the usage stats for intelligence, which again is very, very useful to help to kind of highlight some themes. So we saw that addiction was actually what a theme uh, for us in some of the areas we work in. But it, it, it obviously it's also a great thing for customers to be able to access. 24-7 service, confidential, 
So we, we, we never know what people have called up for, what they've accessed on a, a micro level. We just get the macro detail. And, and that's been a really important thing. Um, and you could see over the last year, the usage of that has gone up as people have had more challenges to deal with. So it's trying to offer, I think it's trying to, to do all you can at a service interaction level. Because what we can't do, for example, is say to people, don't worry about your rent for the month. It would cripple our business model and we would rapidly be in, in dire straits and not be able to provide the support for, for, for everyone we provide support for. Uh, but what we can do is have conversations early on with people where they start to get low level arrears and say, how can we support you? What help can we offer? And often that does um, and the same for complaints and other things that does often prevent things from escalating further. And I think the numbers we've we've seen over the last year have really shown that. And then it's about having things that can support customers just when they need it, really. Uh, and so the offer of the tenant support and wellbeing service, which is something that we 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 pushed out several times during the during lockdown. Um, the, the other th important thing here about communication with customers is is there's real value to keeping your powder dry. I've talked about a lot of stuff, but actually it's picking your moments. So if I think about when we communicated with customers during lockdown, on a bulk level, it was probably two or three times maximum during that period. And there's a reason for that, which is that it, it, you need to put the offer there, but actually that that's it then. You, you need to make sure you've hit customers at key points. So for us, it was initially it was when lockdown first came in and obviously we uh, we stopped doing anything but emergency repairs. So we needed to communicate that with customers and we needed to give them options for how we were going to approach any routine repair bookings and kind of say to them, look, if you've got something that can wait, please do, because we need to prioritize people who really need uh, the services that we've got. Then, of course, when we picked routine repairs back up, we had a backlog. So we had to, again, go out to people um, and, and explain that. So they, these were our lead things. But within that, we could also say, by the way, we have a tenant support and well-being service. Are you experiencing any issues? You know, income. We were able to say, if you need money advice, here are the. So trying to be sensible and proactive about it, keeping the messages simple and focused and not kind of going actually, we need to get a message out about income. Let's send an email to, to 20,000 people. Oh, actually, now we need to send an account about repairs. Let's send another email to 20,000 people. Before you know it, it becomes chaotic and disjointed. And frankly, people get annoyed about it. If you think about your tolerance for how often you're willing to be communicated to by, your, by, by the equivalent of your landlord, um, you know, I've had landlords in, in, in my life it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a great deal for most people. It would be knowing that, that support was there, but having the option to to access it when you need it. And I think that's the balance we have to increase in this strike. Yeah. So when it comes to that, what's your thoughts on on navigating that issue of, of things like contact method preferences? Because look, I'm cynical, so it, it really depends on who I'm dealing with. You know, so if someone says to me, "What's your contact preference?" Now, if that's I don't know, I've been on, online and I've ordered something off Boots, the chemist. They get my email address, they're not getting my phone number. <laughs> you know, because for me, email is easier for me to ignore. What's your thoughts on how do you how do you navigate that? Because, you know, there's, there's going to be an element of some people won't want to be disturbed. There's also the flip side of there's some messages which, you know, like your fire safety message, which are just so vitally important. You've got to make sure that they stick. How do you do that? Yeah, I think it's a... That's the sort of million dollar question, isn't it, for any customer service provider? I mean, I think I think you 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 have to you have to strike the right balance. I mean, you of course you've got what you've got to do as well is you you add GDPR into that mix and you add in another element of complication to it, really. But I think I think it's the it's the it matter, we've got to we've got to think about how we as customers act, and and actually you know the people who live in our in our homes are no different a lot of the time in terms of what they may have different needs. They may have more complicated needs, but in the service that they deserve and that they expect is one that is easy to access when they need it is one that doesn't pester them when they don't need it. So obviously there are things that we need to communicate with people. You know, we need to tell people that their rent, when their rent's increasing, 
you know, there's no there's no opting out of that. Um, you know, we we frankly there would there would have been no opting out of fire safety advice in high rise. But you know, there are some things that you know even through GDPR we we would obviously have the, the legitimate interest um, justification because these are people that are our customers and our tenants. But there's an awful lot of other stuff which should be frankly down to a customer to decide whether they want that or not and i think there's always been this in, in some of the other organizations i've worked in in the past it's been a kind of oh but they won't know about this and it's like but do you know whether they want to know about it you know that that's the point really and i think you've got to be i think there has been a tendency in the past with housing providers as well to kind of say well we offer so much more and actually it's our role to kind of tell people you know during the summer holidays what's happening in coventry it's not our role to do that there are other ways for people to find that information out and would you expect if you were a private tenant would you expect your landlord to give you that information i don't think you would and and i think it's it's accepting that a large we have quite a young customer base so actually and we're a general needs provider so everybody will be different depending on on your organization but for us we've probably got a very significant proportion of our customers who only want to interact with us when they need to book a repair or they need to pay their rent and even then they probably don't need to interact with us because they probably have a direct debit set up or to tell us that they're leaving or something else significant and the rest of the time they only want us they, they want to be left alone so it's then about what are the what are the other what are the other what are the other things that we need to communicate with them about which will be things like rent and one or two other things if, if they want to be left alone actually all, our only job is to is to aside from getting them information that we need to need to get them which will be very very few things our only job is to make sure that when they want us we provide them with a great service so that that one repair call they might make in six months which could be their only interaction with us you've got to nail it you've got to make sure it's a good experience you've got to make sure that when the survey comes through to them they go i'm going to give you five because it's the first time i've tried to contact you in ages i only waited 30 seconds the person i dealt with was brilliant the guy who came to fix my tap was superb. Job done. You ask that person what their view of us is, and they'll give you a great they'll give you a great verdict. And that that's the bit that you can't like. That's the bit that's so important, the transactional bit. So we we're, we're increasingly focused around that. Of course, there's other support. Of course, there's other things we'll do for customers. And then around preferences, it is about capturing the data. And it's not an easy thing to do for any organization, in fact. But, you know, we're, we're going to we're trying to become much more sophisticated about it. So soon in uh, in our My Account customer portal, we will be offering customers the chance to update their information. We'll be doing a proactive campaign on that around their preferences and around their needs. But we won't be doing that until we've done the bit at, the, at our end, which is about educating staff to make sure that when that goes live, people are ready to deal with it from day one. Because the last thing, it would be a nightmare for me when we've got customer service scores of 4.6 out of 5, if because we're trying to do a good thing by asking someone what they need and what they want, which is the right thing to do, we create dissatisfaction by then not, by then not fulfilling that. So, you know, once, for example, you've asked someone if they need large print, if they say yes, you better be sending them large print emails and letters. Otherwise, they're going to be annoyed um, and rightly so. So there is a balance there. But yes, all good customer service organizations will uh, will base their communication on what they understand and know people want to hear about. And if you if you don't have the intelligence to do that, that's where it becomes there's a risk that you go, well, let's send the newsletter to everyone. Uh, let's send this email about this to everybody without really, really thinking through. Is that something that that person needs or wants? I suppose the last question then that, that I would have on that is, and you touched on Amazon earlier, um, how much how much of your communication strategy is now being led, shaped, influenced by that kind of, because you know, you, you go to Amazon, you only need to look at one thing on their website and they will send you an email in a couple of days time with five different things that are related to that. Is that, is that a very similar approach to then to what you're taking? I mean, I don't think it is entirely. I think, I think you know, I use the analogy of Amazon because I, I, li I like to do that because it shocks people a bit. I think, like, oh, we're a social housing provider. How are you? How could you possibly compare us to Amazon? We're not Amazon because we provide a very different service. We provide a much more intimate service, and actually, we can we can add we can add more value to someone's life through providing them with a home than Amazon can by ordering a mug or whatever. 
But the point, the point is the expectation. You've got to, you've got to imagine that our customers could be at home right now um, and they've got a bit of time. So they go onto Amazon, they order something. And straight after that, they want to book a repair with us. And, and that is how, and they will judge us. They will judge us on the difference between those interactions. You can still be an organization with social purpose who can add an immense amount of value to someone's life and provide a great, seamless, quick, engaging, and easy service. And that's the thing we've got to do. You can't kind of go, well, we're no, we're not, we, we, you know, okay, our customer portal's not very good, but you know, we we add all this value for these people over here. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's got to be both. So I think, I think, you know, in our approach at Citizen is, you know, our social purpose is everything to us. Our, our purpose is, you know, we provide homes that are a foundation for life. And that's what we want to do in everything that we do. But the point is, a, a, in fact, a fundamental part of that is providing a seamless, easy to use, great service. So, you know, I, I don't profess that our, our customer portal is anywhere uh, near as good as Amazon's website. You know, uh, they've got however many billions to put behind uh, the development of, of making things as easy as possible. But what we have done, we did an exercise on our customer portal, for example, when we rebranded to say, right, let's scrutinize this. Let's make as few steps as possible. Let's make it as easy as possible to book a repair and for that to be as great an experience as it can be with it realistically within the resource that we've got. So we rebranded the whole portal. So there's now a seamless experience between the website and the portal. You can book a repair within kind of a few clicks, really. Um, so you can select what, what your problem is. You can book a time slot, which is great. And you have the ability to go on and amend and cancel those appointments as well. So we're getting near, with every step, we're trying to get nearer and nearer to the, the kinds of experiences you would have uh, doing any other interaction. That's what we need to do. That is what we need to do as large organizations. You know, and this is why when I talk about how you, uh, when I talk about using money responsibly, this is what I mean. Because if we send three letters out to all of our customers in a year, it's going to cost about 60 grand. Think about what you could do with that money. You know, that, that's, that, that could be the cost of, I mean, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but the customer experience platform, which is transformational in terms of, uh, of, of, of um, you know, understanding and then providing a great service. It could... It could be money you spend revamping your portal so that every customer that goes on there has a great experience. You know, this is why we've got to really scrutinize how we do things and not just accept it's how we've always done it. We've always sent letters to everybody, so we'll continue to do it. Let's let's think about how we can use that because it's it's our responsibility to do so. Our customers deserve a great service just as much as anybody else. And that's what they'll expect. If you're new to the Social Housing Podcast, please subscribe if you're listening via Apple Podcasts or leave a follow if you use Spotify. Also, please remember to leave us any feedback, good, bad or ugly. It can only help serve improvers. Finally, I'd like to thank you all for your time and attention. I appreciate that everybody's busy, but I do hope you learned something from the experience. I certainly did. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time on the Social Housing Podcast. Goodbye.